0: You're listening to the When in Spain podcast, a very warm welcome to you wherever you're listening from around the world. I'm your host for this show. My name's Paul Burge. Who the hell am I? Well, I'm a British guy uh, living right here in the Spanish capital in Madrid, which is exactly where I'm talking to you from right at this moment. Thank you for tuning in. If you're new to this podcast and you have some doubts about what it's all about, well, it's Fairly self explanatory, I suppose. It's a podcast show all about Spain, Spanish culture, my observations, some practical advice, a bit of everything, really. So, if you're a Spain fan, if you're really uh, into Spain and Spanish culture, maybe you're thinking about coming to live and work or travel in this country, then you're in the right place. This is definitely the podcast for you. It's the number one podcast about Spain. Out there, so thanks guys for continuing to support and listen to this podcast. If you're new to this podcast, do go and check back the back catalogue of episodes. There are about 52, 53 episodes, I think. And there really is something for everyone, I guess, if you're into Spain, all about Spain obviously. We've got episodes about practical advice, how-to guides, how to open a bank account, how to rent an apartment, guides about the different cities in Spain, if you're not sure where you want to move to, the different neighbourhoods in those cities. There are episodes about culture, of course. We look at flamenco, music, all of the different types of food, books about Spain, TV shows about Spain, Spanish TV programmes... There are episodes which take you out and about around Spain with me. So if you like to hear all of the sounds uh, and you like to be transported to different parts of Spain, there are episodes exactly like that. There are episodes where I take you uh, down to Andalusia. There are episodes where I take you to Murcia to Barcelona on the Ave train. There are episodes about transport, how to get around Spain. There are episodes that I've recorded here in Madrid, for example, taking you around uh, Madrid's markets and some of the neighbourhoods in the capital. There are episodes about beer. There are episodes about wine, Spanish beer and Spanish wine, of course. There are some episodes about learning Spanish, how to do it. My personal advice of how I've learned Spanish. There are episodes about Christmas in Spain. There are episodes about Easter and the Holy Week and Semana Santa here in Spain. There are episodes about Valentine's Day. There's episodes where I take you to a bullfight, which was probably the most controversial uh, episode that I've produced. And no, I'm not a fan. And no, I won't be repeating it. And then there are episodes where it's just me kind of sharing my culture shocks, my observations, uh, my feelings about what it's like like to actually come and move and live here in Spain. And along the way, I have enlisted the help of numerous guests on the podcast who are more expert than me to talk about uh, the various subjects and topics that I've mentioned. So if you're new to the podcast and you're only listening to this first episode, do listen to this episode and stay tuned, but go and check back all of the previous episodes. And I know that also goes for other listeners out there who have maybe listened to the most recent episodes episodes, maybe the last five or ten episodes, do go back and check out the early episodes um, because I think there's some really useful information there. There's some really good stuff that I'm sure you will enjoy. That's just a little promo of uh, previous episodes. I don't normally do that, but I was just looking at stats and things and I know that there are some earlier episodes that i made which are a little bit lonely that haven't got maybe the 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 loving that they deserve uh, everyone seems to be focused on maybe the most recent i don't know 20 25 episodes go back to the beginning and do check out some of the earlier episodes and give them a listen. I promise you, you will enjoy them. Anyway, that said, you're probably asking what the hell is coming up in this episode? That's what I want to know. Well, as you've probably seen in the title, this episode is going to be one of those that is offering some practical advice. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking about moving to Spain with a view to come and live here long term or maybe permanently, uh, with a view to settling down, renting, possibly purchasing a property, and then uh, either retiring or working here in Spain. Think of it as a checklist of important things that you need to take into account, factors that you need to think about before moving so that you can make your transition to Spain as smooth as possible. And to help me do this, I've had the great fortune of being able to invite back on the show Molly Pickaway. Uh, Molly was uh, on the show, I think, last time, about six months ago, talking all about Andalusia. Why? Well, because Molly runs a fantastic blog all about uh, travel, food and culture in Andalusia predominantly, but also other parts of Spain. And she's also recently started working as a kind of relocation education coach, helping people, advising people and guiding people who are making the move to Spain. So I've been very lucky to get her on the podcast. I'm going to be chatting with her, uh, coming up a little bit later uh, to talk about all of the things that you need to be thinking about if you are indeed planning on moving to Spain. So stay tuned for me and Molly. Uh, before we get into the interview with Molly, just a few announcements and shout outs that I would like to make. First of all, a very special mention to new When in Spain patrons, uh, When in Spain patrons who are very, very kind kindly signed up via the crowdfunding website, which is called Patreon, in case you didn't know, who have very kindly signed up to make small, regular monthly donations to help support me in putting this podcast together. So, muchísimas gracias to Dana Jordan. Thank you, Dana. Big thank you also to Nancy Baker. Thank you, Nancy. And a big, big gracias also to Trisha O'Brien. So Dana, Nancy and Trisha, a big, big thank you to you three for signing up and becoming new When in Spain patrons. Massively, massively appreciate it. For those of you who don't know, um, this podcast I put together in my free time as a kind of passion project. I am a former broadcaster. I am an ex BBC journalist and other networks and I also used to work in newspapers as well uh, way back when in a a previous life but uh, for me this is a creative outlet and it's also a passion project as I said I really love sharing my passion and enthusiasm for Spain with other people who are like-minded who are also interested in Spain so I don't have the backing of any uh, advertising or sponsors or any big media machine it's just me in my free time when I can uh, putting this show together because I like doing it. But, you know, a bit of uh, financial support does help cover my costs. Putting the show together sadly doesn't cost nothing. Uh, There are monthly expenses incurred in doing so. So we've got about 46 patrons at the moment. I think I mentioned it before that I was aiming to get 50 patrons hopefully by Christmas. So please do consider becoming a patron if you haven't already. Um, You can do so, as I said, by heading over to patreon.com forward slash when in Spain, or if you just search when in Spain, Patreon, it's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, a a huge crowdfunding website with uh, lots and lots of users on there. It's safe, it's secure. You can sign up and uh, and make a regular donation from as little as just $1 a month, $1. And that's it. I talk about it a lot. I know I sell it a lot. I know many of you (laughs) regular listeners are probably fed up of hearing about Patreon, uh, especially if you've become a patron and you're like, yeah, I've become a patron, Paul. Now can you stop talking about it? Well, I know. I'm sorry. But it's super important uh, for me to really make this a long-term podcast. We've been going about a year and a half, as long-term listeners will know. I would like to make that another year and a half. And to be able to do that, it's got to be viable in terms of use of my time. It does take quite a lot of time to put each episode together. Anyway, enough of that. And just while we talk about uh, Patreon, did you know that today, which is the 19th of November, is Thank Patrons Day? a little bit gimmicky. It's something run by Patreon. Um, But today is officially say thank you to your patrons day. Um, So I've said thank you to my three new patrons, but I would like just to take this opportunity to say a big, 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 really big, Seriously big gracias to all of the patrons who have already signed up and all of the patrons that have signed up and supported me almost from the very beginning. Um, um, I really, really appreciate it. And uh, I really do hope you continue to show your support for this podcast. Uh, Incidentally, uh, on Patreon, on the crowdfunding website, there are 4 million patrons worldwide. There are 4 million generous kind appreciative people who show their appreciation for independent content creators just like me people who appreciate uh time and effort that goes into creating independent unique content so uh, four million patrons it's quite something so thank you to all patrons around the world supporting worthy projects uh, whether they be youtube channels podcasts art musicians whatever they are uh, patrons uh, in case you weren't sure, can support a huge range of uh, creatives all around the world. So anyway, enough of that. Big thank you to all patrons who support When in Spain. And just one other quick shout out that I'd like to give, and that is to uh, When In Spain listener and patron, Christopher Tipper. Uh, I had a great pleasure of meeting up with Christopher, who was passing through Madrid uh, a couple of weeks ago. He'd been spending some time uh, based here in Madrid with his wife. I'd just like to say it was great to meet you, Christopher. Uh, Thanks for getting in touch. I hope you had a great trip onward journey to Valencia. So thanks, Chris, and all the best to you from Madrid. Incidentally, if any other listeners are passing through Madrid uh, in the future, and I know there are uh, a couple of uh, listeners who will be, uh, who I've spoken to, I, please do get in touch and let me know. I'm always more than happy uh, to meet up. Don't be shy, give me a shout. So, let's get into the interview with Molly Pickerby. We're going to be talking about important things that you need to think about when moving to Spain, but we also touch upon the unexpected little details that you might not think about. So, we're going to look at obviously uh, identifying somewhere to live, looking at whether you're renting or buying, the things you need to take into account when you do that. Uh, We're going to be talking about looking for work and jobs, the job situation and how you can go about doing that. We talk a little bit about paperwork, but we don't go into it in huge amounts of detail because it's a huge topic uh, which really does warrant its own podcast. Just to say on that note, if you're a European Union citizen planning on moving to Spain, I did put an episode together about how to get hold of the all-important document called a NIE, which is your fiscal identity number. It's uh, essential really for anything that you need to do in Spain if you're living and indeed working here. In this episode with Molly, we don't go into huge exhaustive detail because it's a vast, vast topic. Anyway, there's no point in me going through the things we talk about. Let's get straight into the interview with Molly Picave. molly thanks again for joining me on the when in spain podcast just your second appearance last time we talked about Andalusia, but today we're here to give some uh, practical advice or rather you're here to give some practical advice for people who are thinking about relocating to spain
1: okay well thanks for having me back first of all i think one of the most important things first is uh, to decide which area of Spain to live in and um, that can be quite uh, difficult because a lot of people say oh I want to move to Spain but I don't want to be um, in the areas where there's a lot of expats because I want to learn Spanish, I want to feel like a local, yeah. that kind of um, thing. So depending on where you're where you you're attracted to in the country there are places to avoid or places to choose um, so that's often something that comes up kind of initially. And then, of course, if, if you're going to rent um, somewhere to live or you're going to purchase a property, then that's a, a biggie as well because a lot of people want to invest in property abroad and um, there's a lot of uh, real estate for sale in Spain and I, I wouldn't like anybody to make a mistake and buy the wrong property and then not be able to resell or... Or just be stuck with a the property they don't like or a location that they're not happy with. So I Absolutely. always try and say that you you need to take your time and not be in a hurry and not get kind of all excited and then just sign, sign something without having done all of your homework.
0: It's about actually coming and spending time in Spain and doing your research on the ground, exploring places uh, firsthand to get a feel for them, Not certainly not just sticking a pin in a map. And...
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, most people, when they travel to Spain um, on holiday or even on an extended kind of period of a month or six weeks, they will be travelling in, in, at times of the year, such as spring, uh, Easter time or in summer season and it probably won't be in November or in February. And when you see certain locations in different times of the year, they vary drastically. For example, I I live in Granada and in summer, in August, we can be at 45 degrees. And today I think we're at 9 or 10 degrees. So it's a very different uh, scene, what we're seeing today, than what we would have seen Uh, three or four months ago. I don't know if people are quite conscious of that. Um, I mean, that's Granada, but wherever we go around Spain, it's a similar kind of thing where there's places, coastal locations or towns or villages that in the summer are busy or busy-ish. And then uh, after the September, around September 20th or so, some of the business is closed down and they don't reopen until march the following year and the village is just like a ghost town
0: that's a really good point yeah that's i mean the the climate is a is an important factor because i think yeah people could make the mistake of thinking that if they're used to coming to spain on a summer holiday that it's always hot and sunny and you know to be honest in most places of spain it's not it's not it might be sunny but it's certainly not always you know laying on the beach weather or sitting outside on a terraza it will be cold uh, especially Especially in the interior regions of Spain. And yeah, I think that's also a really good point that the kind of seasonality of places, right, that, you know, you might visit a bustling town or village in the high season in the summer months, but it's a complete ghost town with lots of things closed for the winter uh, in the low season.
1: If people have spent time in Spain just as on on a holiday or even for a month, it's not long enough to make a decision um, to buy a property or even to pick a, a location. I think it's important that you spend, I'd say, between eight and 12 months in a location before you purchase any property so that you see it. When it rains, you see it when it's cold, you see it when it's hot, you see it when it's really busy, when it's really empty, you see it all all year round all year and round. then you can naturally decide and see how things are. It just makes me remember in uh-huh. Barcelona, I used to live in Barcelona, yeah. the neighbours in the Gracia area, Gracia is a fabulous place to live in Barcelona. It's quite central. It's a really kind of hipster vibey kind of neighborhood. It's got history. It's got amazing commerce and markets and restaurants. But they have the Festival of Gracia and all the neighbors leave. That week they just get out of there because it's horrendous. (laughs) For a week when they have the Festas de Gracia, it's just unbearable. So the people traditionally the neighbors from that area take that week to travel somewhere or to go somewhere else and if you don't know that <laughs> i mean you know have that, to kind of count on these go. kind of little foibles and and quirky yeah. details of each location
0: sure i've, I've heard people say uh, something very similar about Valencia as well So i've got friends in Valencia oh, who yeah. with Las Fallas, which is the very famous yeah. uh, festival which happens every year where it's extremely noisy because they have the mascletas, the fireworks, they're letting off firecrackers all over the city, they're burning effigies, they're, it's super loud and noisy and a lot of my friends yeah. said oh god we, we get out of the city for at least two weeks during Las Fallas because we, we can't bear it, it's just crazy
1: exactly that so I think I mean it's a small thing because it's maybe one week or five days or even a weekend but there are things that you don't have like where I'm from in Nottinghamshire mm. my the street where I live or my parents live now is the same all year round <laughs> it doesn't really vary very much <laughs>
0: <laughs> no that's very similar to where I'm from in, in the UK in as well it's, it's pretty much the same all year round <laughs> even the weather
1: right, it's yeah, exactly. So there's nothing really to take into consideration. Like yeah. It's not very, yeah. And so the thing about um, even renting a place, um, if you're going to rent it for a longer period of time, you need to look at things like, what is the heating system like? Is it a, is it a shared heating system from the community of, of uh, neighbours where the neighbourhood it's like the heating system is underground and maybe in the garage or something or yeah. in the pot in a part of the building that you don't normally see and they switch the heating on and that gives heat to all of the apartments in the block and you don't control your own heating for example that is one way um, or yeah, really. do you have the heating is it on a butane um, cylinder like a gas cylinder, that yeah. you have to get the the man deliver your gas cylinder to you, and that's the hot water for your shower, that's your heating, whatever. Yeah. Um, and all of these things are just normal life here. But for a foreign person who's used to having a house, when I say foreign person, I mean a non-Spanish person. A non-Spanish um, person,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, who's used to having heating in their own house that they switch on and switch off as they like, it's kind of hard to get your head around the fact that somebody else is going to be putting your heating on.
0: Yeah, that's right. There, there, um, there are these little details that, yeah, you don't, you don't often consider. I, I, in Madrid, I used to live in a, in an apartment which had exactly that—the kind of communal heating, which I think got switched on in um, November and that stayed on until I think about the end of March, April. In the height of winter, it's great because it was nice and toasty and cosy in the flat. But you know, it could get unbearably hot sometimes because you could turn your radiators off, but you still got all the hot water pipes running through the apartment, which are just burning hot. You know, for like four months of the year.
1: Yeah. So I mean, but what I'm saying is that people, when they come, they don't think about winter. They don't think it's going to be cold. They don't think that they're going to need central heating. They're not. They can't imagine it. And um, a lot of If you haven't, if you even if you've got this uh, community heating system for the apartment block, you may need extra heating, which is, for example, in my case, uh, because it's not enough, it's nowhere near enough. Um, So I have air conditioning systems uh, in two of the rooms in my apartment, which I put on the heating, but then of course, that's I'm paying twice for, for heating because I'm paying my community bill, but then I'm paying electric for the air conditioning to be switched on. So the costs are going up. You know, a lot of people say, oh, it's so cheap to live in Spain compared to London or compared to wherever. But then people don't talk about these kind of hidden costs. These
0: hidden the- costs. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: for example, my air conditioning bill in in August is really high, obviously. 'Cause it's so hot you, need, you just need to have the air conditioning on pretty much twenty four hours. Yeah. Which is fine because it's one month and but there are things that you can't kind of move to a country and expect that you know, you've done your kind of maths and you're thinking, well, we're gonna pay so much on the on the building or on the rent or so much on food and not leave anything left and then you then you can't pay your air conditioning bill you have- or your heating you have- bill or Or then you're scrimping and saving and then you're miserable. All they're thinking about is living in the sunshine, the social life, the tapas, the beach or whatever is attracting them to come here. And I'm kind of the Debbie Downer who, (laughs) who, who kind of brings them back to reality and says, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this other thing? Put a more practical kind of slant on things and make sure that they're thinking with their head as well as their heart.
0: Yeah, sometimes we've got to burst the bubbles a little bit, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I agree. And that's interesting, uh, p- uh, maybe an important point to mention when we're talking about the, the communities. Um, let's just explain what that is, because I don't know, in some countries it exists. I know in the in the United States they have it, but maybe not so much in in the UK, in my experience, where... No,
1: in you, the UK, I don't think it will have it at all.
0: No, whereas if you rent an apartment in an apartment building pretty much any apartment building you're expected to contribute um, a fee on a I don't know if it's on a quarterly basis or a yearly basis or monthly I'm not sure. Monthly. Uh, You pay money monthly into a communal pot which is a fund which is used for any maintenance work that needs doing any updating any emergency that happens if there's a burst pipe or any anything like that right?
1: Yeah so the community fee is applies usually to apartment blocks so it's where there's a, a block of flats or a block of apartments there may be um four neighbors on each floor so you've got a five-floor building with four families on each floor so 20 neighbors um, and so each person will own their apartment outright or be renting it um, sometimes there's a mix of of rent uh tenants and owners and yep. then the basically the lift um the elevator the lift and the staircase and the porch and the facade and the roof those areas are maintained by the community which is this pot this money pot
0: yeah. um
1: that takes care of all of those common areas so the common areas that are owned a 20th of a uh, by each family by each
0: family. so
1: yeah so each um, month you have to pay this community fee which in my case i pay about 100 euros per month so that 100 euros covers the lady who comes to clean the staircase and throw the rubbish away mm-hmm. and um the gardener because we've got a little um some a planted area outside the front of, of my apartment um on the ground floor and uh anything like the heating bill for example so the heating is only paid six months of the year so the fuel that um makes the heater work that is coming out of this community bill mm-hmm. and then things like the the lights that <laughs> light like the corridors, the, of like common, the common areas, the the lift maintenance, all of that. So that community fee we pay every month to cover these costs, and then if there's anything big that needs doing, um, you may have to pay more. So they may say they'll have a meeting and they'll say, oh well, the lift is really old and we need to renew the pulleys or Absolutely, we need to do this or yeah. that and, and then they'll say well you have to pay 200 euros now every month until until we pay this
0: yeah. repair." just to make clear also normally as a tenant if you're uh, renting a flat you you're not normally liable to pay the community fee it should be no, the, should be the, the owner. should be no, the owner. It. it should be the owner it should be the owner yeah
1: it's not always the case it depends on this on the situation
0: yeah i think that's something just to chuck in there. i think i've talked about it ages ago in an episode about renting in spain is to make sure that you're really clear on that um when you sign a contract as whether you're liable to pay the community charge um on top of your rent or whether the owner pays pays it
1: some tenants i've seen they have to pay the water some they don't some have to pay the rubbish the rubbish bin you know the rubbish bins outside because in spain we don't have a rubbish bin per house they're outside on the street we have to take our rubbish out yeah and there's a council fee for the rubbish clearance for the city and that payment is normally made by a property owner but sometimes the tenant it may be included for example in my case it's included in the water bill
0: (laughs) so that is um that is a cost to be aware of, an additional monthly cost.
1: Yeah, the community fee um, can be higher if the block, the apartment block, has gardens, if it has a paddle court, if it has a swimming pool, if it has uh, more than one lift. I've yeah. seen community charges as low as €40 Euros because they've got no no elevator in the block. You need to ask that. You need to ask it when you're buying a property and you need to ask about it when you're renting both
0: and I imagine if you're lucky enough to be buying a property which is not, is a, is a, is a detached or semi detached property, a, uh, whole a whole house on its own land, then there is, that doesn't exist. There isn't a, obviously a, a community charge to pay. Is that right?
1: No, but that's worse because if you, <laughs> want, one, because the house is going to cost you more money because you're buying the land underneath your house as yeah. well as the bricks and mortar. So uh-huh. the price will be higher poll tax or the eb that will be higher like considerably higher and
0: this is the 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 tax you pay every month to the to the to the city hall to the to the local government
1: every yeah every quarter well you can choose if you pay it every month or every quarter but usually it's every quarter you pay a property tax um to the local government and if it's a house then it's quite significantly higher than if it's an apartment but if you own a house you don't have a community fee but when the roof breaks you have to repair the whole roof
0: you're responsible for all of the maintenance on your own property obviously yes so make sure when you buy a house that it's it's in good it's in good nick Just to sort of sum up where we've got to so far, people should definitely come and spend, you're saying, at least six months, if not more, a year to experience life all year round in the place where they're looking at uh, coming to live. So they need to find, you know, narrow down their location, pick somewhere And then come and experience it for as long as possible to get a real feel for it. if you do that, you're going to be renting for a year. So you need to take into account the things we've just talked about, about hidden costs of heating, community fees, water, uh, etc. And then obviously you'll be, I imagine most people during that time will be sort of starting their property search in terms of uh, looking to buy. Um, What would the next steps be, Molly, in your opinion?
1: So I think, well, of course, we haven't really touched on it today, but if um, you're you're learning Spanish, um, it's really important that the the most the more you can learn, the better your kind of experience is going to be um, for buying property. I would really suggest that you um, like you do your homework and you look at different uh, things which are going on. So. For example, um, Airbnb is really popular in Spain because it's a very big tourist destination. Uh, so Airbnb is having an effect. I see Airbnb, just tourism, apartment rentals generally yeah. are having a big effect on the property prices in Spain. Um, so it's important to have a look even if you're not renting or thinking about renting, but have a look at Airbnb, what's on offer. Because if you see that the things are unpopular, which, which are popular on that platform, you know that the, where the hotspots are. And they're the points I would say to avoid when you're looking at properties. One, right. because there's going to be not locals. Uh, they're not going to be locals around there. Or they're going to be less locals around there. Um, two, because the prices are going to be quite severely inflated. They're going to be really high because investors want those properties. And also, um, if you like the more you learn about the environment where you're going to buy a property in, the better. So I think you should look at it in a lot of different ways, not just looking at it from I want to buy, I want two bedrooms, I want a garage. Uh, that's it. I think you need to look at it in a different, a lot of different ways. And also um, looking at a specific area, um, a little bit what we said earlier about it's important that somebody spends between eight months and 12 months in the area they want to be before buying the same. You should be looking at that area on a Monday night, on a Tuesday morning, on the weekend, um, at different times of the day. see if there's a school that's local if there's a traffic problem if there's um, a a nightclub if there's i don't know like what is going on in in that specific area because seeing um, a street or a specific area at different times throughout the week uh, in the night in the morning etc it gives you a good feel for the area because you can that can be a surprise you know where you didn't realize that suddenly On Monday morning at 8.45, you have like seven four by fours parked outside your house where they're all dropping the children off for school and you can't get out of your garage.
0: And I would say, I mean, particularly in, well, I suppose anywhere really, but particularly in bigger towns and cities, um, noise, if you're sensitive to noise, you might have this kind of dream image of your little balcony opening out onto a little town square or a little cobbled street, but they can be noisy. And, you know, let's not forget that Spaniards do kind of live their lives a bit later than maybe some people are used to. And this is certainly a factor for me in the centre of Madrid. Uh, I'm used to now, but at the beginning it was like, oh my God, the rubbish collection is at half past midnight right outside my balcony. Clanging, banging around Uh, i've got shops and restaurants underneath the apartment buildings um, which aren't too noisy in themselves but the metal shutters that go up and down several times during the day or early in the morning can be incredibly noisy so all little details like that yeah that you need to be aware of
1: yeah spain is um the second most noisy country in the world
0: yes i've read that statistic
1: (laughs) yeah so so yeah I think it might be even a good idea if you can go and stay in a hotel, like on the street or in the area where you think to to live, and then you can kind of try it out and see how it is. If you're not staying there already, I mean that's something you can else you can do. But that's something I've done a, a lot when I bought um, two properties so far in Spain. I bought one in Barcelona, and well, I've rented out several, but. I think I've rented about four different properties, but I purchased as a property owner two properties now in Spain. And um, certainly that's something I did. I went to have a look what it was like in the morning in the afternoon in the evening and the weekends to to kind of scout out and see if I was happy with, you know, how the neighborhood was, uh, you know, throughout the whole week.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it goes without saying that also, and you touched on it already, do a recce of the neighbourhood, the area, depending on what your needs are, I guess. If you need to be near to uh, a doctors, a hospital, schools, any amenities that you might want to have close at hand, um, I mean, that's kind of an obvious point to make, I guess, but uh, an important one.
1: Some people have different ideas about that. I mean, some people are quite happy to take the car out to go and do their shopping or whatever, but I'm not used to that. I'm used to having literally like coming out of my door and having Everything business right right, yeah. right there yeah. um so for me it wouldn't suit me to live in a, a in a residential area outside of town where i have to take the car to go and buy some carrots or something it wouldn't no, suit no. me at all but no, some no. other people would love that would love to be out kind of looking at a more countryside kind of scene and um They'd be perfectly happy to go and do the shopping and buy car, um, but yeah, each person has their own different ideas of how things fit and what what works for them.
0: Just going back to what you said about language, I mean, I guess like from my point of view, and if possible. A good idea to try and get some kind of basic level of Spanish ahead of relocating once you maybe have made a decision in your head um, I know next year or within the next two years that's it we're going to make we're going to bite the bullet we're going to move um, I think personally from my point of view it makes a huge difference if you even start you know um, getting a basic level of Spanish before you move rather than arriving with you know very very little and maybe you know makes life a little bit more complicated you can't expect everyone to speak english um, yeah. when you arrive
1: i think if you're making such a huge commitment um to purchase a property in another country then it's basic that you should learn spanish whether to whatever level is possible but you should certainly have some basic basic spanish just be just because you will need to interact with people you need to say hello if you're in an apartment block you will be c- crossing um the corridor and um, meeting neighbours and things just to say hello or good morning or something exactly. it's, it's going to make the experience very different um regarding the legal side of things um if you're purchasing a, a property or renting a property you will have to read contracts um you will have interaction with different people a lawyer or a uh, um I don't know what they call them in English, a perito, like a, a surveyor. I think it's a surveyor. Yeah. And yeah, they're yeah. kind of experts who know what they're talking about and they're not used to people who don't know what they're saying and that kind of thing. So it would be tricky. And that's kind of the service I've kind of launched um, this year where I'm a relocation coach. I'm helping people uh, make a success, successful move to Spain, whether it be renting or buying or neither to try and help on the cultural side to try and help people adjust to try and help them make a a sound decision that suits them rather than just rushing into something. Um, and I find that state agents can be quite pushy. They can say that things are, um, For example, this has just come on the market. It's going to sell really quickly. I need a decision today or I need to know by the end of the week, that kind of thing. It can be quite pushy. I mean, they're doing their job. They want the commission. They need to make their figures. That's fine. But when you're um, not in your comfort zone, you're in an area you don't know, with a language you don't know, it can all, all become very overwhelming very quickly. And that's when things go well. If things If anything goes wrong I I dread to even think I mean it must be awful so um, this is something that I was passionate um, to to do uh, and it's to be kind of a buddy to to people who are looking for property or looking to make a move to live in Spain but not to be um, pushing on the selling properties front so I will help people by being with them either Physically, I'll be I'll be I'll be with them or just by email consultancy where I'm sending them emails and information or as we're talking like on Skype, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. So. As a,
1: or as a... half and half where I can be on Skype, a bit of email. And then when they come to a decision, I can be with them when they go to see properties and kind of point out things that may, maybe they don't notice. Yeah.
0: Would you um, recommend, because obviously, you know, you can buy houses, property in Spain via an agency or an estate agency, um, but, you know, I've known people who have also bought them privately, directly from the owner. Is that something to consider? Is it worth doing or is that more complicated? Obviously, you need to involve um, a, a lawyer, a solicitor, a gestor, etc. Uh, to make sure everything's above board. But uh, would you would you recommend that people don't just focus on buying Buying properties through estate agents and that there are you know you can buy directly from owners
1: I'm more keen on the fact that they buy the property that suits them rather than sure. through private or through an agent I, I don't really mind um, the thing is with it with the estate agents um, certainly over the last few years they seem to uh, snap up any of these flats that are coming onto the market that are a private sale um, and discourage the people from selling it direct because they're basically losing the commission. So it's I've found that it's become increasingly hard to buy direct from the from the seller. But if you can buy direct from the seller, it's the best way.
0: Because you're going to save money. I think
1: up. it's the best way. You save about three yeah. percent, but it can be five percent. It depends on the agency. Sorry, that's five percent of the price of the property.
0: What about paperwork? Let's say um, someone from a European country, let's take the UK, for example, or somebody from the United States wants to come and spend time in Spain, initially maybe to live for a year or rent for a year before they do their buy their property. In terms of paperwork... It's quite different, right, Um, and depending on what you're coming here to do as well. I know there's tons and tons of detail in the paperwork, but could we just kind of give a vague outline of the kind of process, depending on whether you're coming from a European country or outside of Europe?
1: Generally in Europe, you don't need anything. From the UK, I would recommend that people get their EHIC, uh, E-H-I-C cards. So that's they're getting their health healthcare. Um, problems solved if they have that paper restrictions because it's obviously not Europe you can be in Spain for 90 days and then uh, well no sorry I say Spain Europe uh, Schengen the Schengen area so the Schengen is a agreement between a number of countries which is mainly Europe as we understand it and you can be in the Schengen area for 90 days without any problems uh, or any special paperwork being required and then after that 90 days you have to a lot of Americans they leave the Schengen area so they could go to the UK, they could go to Gibraltar, they could go to Morocco or or somewhere else and then they can come back in again and then have another 90 days so that's not ideal if you want to be a more long term to be here a longer term then you need to apply for for a visa to be here and that usually is um be in the country without working so you can be here on leisure or sabbatical or retirement or whatever but not working they're generally the 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 easiest things to explain without going into massive detail yeah, sure. and how how usually people begin their journey um, from kind of living 100% of the time in the US or the UK or your, another European country to transitioning, to, to moving to Spain. That's normally how it starts. And then how it continues, it depends on each person's situation because then it gets very tricky and detailed and, yeah
0: yeah and I guess know, some
1: people it- have got like a Spanish husband or they need to work or they don't need to work or they're retired or there's <laughs> a million different Yeah,
0: Yeah, depending on whether you want to retire, you're retiring here, you are wanting to come and work here, you already have a job, or you're going to come and look for work here, or like you said, you're marrying uh, a Spanish citizen, and there's a million different permutations, right? And I think I've heard of something called a non-lucrative visa for those outside the EU. That's the one I'm talking about. That's where you can can live in Spain, um, but your income has to be derived from your home country so would suit people who have their own business maybe back home but can run it from spain and they're they're like i don't know they re- work remotely as it were here in spain they can have a visa to actually be based here but their business activities take place in the united states for example
1: that's a little bit more further down the line um i yeah. think the most important thing to think about initially is healthcare. care people need to make sure before you spend any long period of time anywhere that you have healthcare covered. Um, so if you're from non-EU, non-EU country or not from the UK, then you need to get private healthcare coverage. And there are a lot, a lot of providers out there um, that do you know, not too expensive coverage for when you're abroad, even on a longer period of time.
0: Yeah, I've seen even things like now on the internet, there are kind of price comparison websites for uh, private health insurance, much like your car insurance websites where you compare, yeah. you can get different quotes, and you can put your details in and your age and any pre existing conditions and things like this. And they'll give you a, a quote on a monthly uh, or quarterly health insurance payment and yeah from what I've seen they seem they tend to be fairly affordable um for what you get
1: yeah, I think they are pretty affordable and and healthcare in Spain is excellent generally very very high standard um and quite easy to access like not massive long waiting lists or big problems to kind of get treatment if you you know if you need it so I think people don't need to kind of worry about that too much but they need to make sure they've got it sorted out um before they move here
0: longer term if anyone starts working in spain and i know that obviously depends on their circumstances but what basically once you start paying into the national insurance system here uh through a job you're then entitled to um the state uh, you would do it slightly differently so you're entitled to the spanish state uh, health cover here um and then you would apply for um it's like a, what is it called i think in madrid it's called a tarjeta sanitaria or something like that so it's a yeah that's right. it's a local yeah. health, health
1: card, card. but and, even so i mean a lot of people have here both they have a private health care and a and a state health care because yeah. they want to have like I don't know, like extra services that you don't really get. Like for example, I like to go to physio, and and I have to pay th- through private healthcare for that because it's not yeah. something I need. It's yeah. something I like to have. It's a more preventative kind of healthcare. So a lot of people have a combination of both
0: um dental care can be included in in your health insurance your private health insurance um but i've noticed and speaking from my point of view as well that there are a lot of uh you get a lot of offers of uh dental insurance through for example bank accounts and things like that they give little promotions i think for example i've got and i'm not really sure if it's good uh, value or not um, I think I pay 15 euros a month and that's like uh, the maximum coverage for me and my my girlfriend for two of us for 15 euros a month and uh, is that just for dental work that's just for dental work that's with Odeslas yeah that's just for dental work yeah oh that's, that's a, I think that's a good deal I didn't think it was too bad yeah so I mean there are competing deals out there but um, just something to be aware of when people get to the point when they open a bank account they might get offered with the account these little special deals with um well in this case with dental insurance yeah they might have a a family a plan for a family a dental plan for a family for example um but yeah uh, ask around and see when you open a bank account what there is obviously you can go directly to uh adeslas for example which is one of the dental providers
1: One thing you mentioned just uh, a moment ago was the fact about working in Spain. I think this is something that people quite underestimate. Um, I think people believe that once you come to Spain and kind of get settled in, um, you've got your rental apartment or you've purchased a property, and then you maybe know a few of the locals, your Spanish is basic, but you can get by, um, that you'll be able to find a job. And I think people think that that's how it is and it's not quite like that (laughs) spain has quite a high unemployment rate it has very um qualified young people um almost overqualified and it's very competitive and also the wages are lower than some other european countries so i think people need to kind of plan thinking that it will be challenging to find a job in Spain unless they are coming already having been headhunted or with a job position being offered to them um it's not very easy to find work in Spain even in the larger cities um I've seen a lot of people come over thinking that you know if they move to Madrid or Barcelona there'll be a lot of work to be had and um you know, it won't be because they have a very good career behind them or a very good curriculum, that so it won't be difficult. And yeah. and it is, it's very very tough.
0: I would I would agree with that. I think I mean I can only sort of speak from my experience and uh, experience of people I know and friends here, the non non Spanish friends who have come and settled in Spain. Um, I think uh, obviously, like you said, there are. It's it's definitely difficult. You're going to have to expect to be commanding a a noticeably lower salary compared to probably what you're used to in your home country having said that yes the cost of living can be uh cheaper as well so it does kind of balance out but yeah you're gonna you're gonna take uh, uh, a hit on your salary if you're if you're used to commanding an awful lot of money um in terms of finding work, yeah. I mean, obviously, there are going to be more opportunities in the bigger cities um, compared to, you know, small coastal towns and villages. That goes without saying. Um, I don't know. if From my perspective, there are kind of two... There are different ways to do it. Like, personally, I had come from a... Fairly specialised background, so I guess it depends what your professional background is and how lucky you get. Um, I came from a journalistic and sort of communications, PR, marketing background, and I managed after probably you know three months of job hunting from the UK, I managed to secure a handful of interviews.
1: Yeah, so but you're you're saying that, and you're in Madrid, which is the capital of Spain. So yeah. if you think about that you know applied to somewhere like Valladolid or Sambora or
0: <laughs> Granada yeah. yeah it's
1: kind of like a little bit worse than what you're explaining <laughs> no,
0: no, so basically
1: no, it's not, no, not easy it's and not um true. a lot true. of people in a lot of Americans or British people they teach English for um for a job and a lot of people may work in tourism um but of course both teaching English and tourism, or jobs where you have antisocial hours because you'll be working in the evenings, you'll be working on the weekends, things like that, so... it's just something to take on board that if you move to Spain it's not impossible to have a job but it may not be the kind of thing you had in mind or you may have to reduce your expectations that's all I wanted to say
0: from my point of view there's kind of like three routes that I would say and this is coming from a British citizen so within at the moment inside the uh, inside the EU is that yeah if you have you know a degree of specialized you know the background um, and you can certainly what I did is I searched for jobs using Spanish job search websites. So you have Indeed.es, you have InfoJobs, you of course have got LinkedIn, you've got a lot of online resources. I just contacted, you know, I cast my net really ri- really wide all over Madrid and um, I was lucky in that I found a handful of jobs who were looking for native English speakers who had a background in communications and the native English and all the rest of it and managed to secure a job ahead of my move now that is not always the case and that's not always a common so I I wouldn't like be deterred if you have a, a kind of decent background in a particular career try see what's available but again like you said um the most the majority of the jobs are going to be in the bigger cities um the other route i would say like you said also molly um is is teaching english is a really common way for people to get over here with an income to get themselves established i know teachers who uh have started teaching here And have really enjoyed it and have made that their career long term and have been here, you know, for five or more, 10 years teaching full time. And uh, it's not it's not very well paid. As you said, the hours are quite antisocial, but it's a it's a viable way of getting to Spain and getting settled. And I also know people who've taught for a few years while they kind of found their feet, while they maybe improved their Spanish level, while they kind of got a feel for the place where they're living obviously, when you've got your feet on the ground, wherever you are, it's easier to make contacts with people face to face. And then they transitioned from teaching into, as you said, it might have been tourism, it might have been working for I don't know a social media company, it might be in a, a sales job or something like that. So that's the kind of the other route. And then I know people who have moved to Spain, more to the tourist sort of coastal areas, who have quite simply picked up work you know in bars restaurants because they had english and they were in touristy areas didn't earn very very good money but you know enough to rent a room you know for a a year initially in a shared apartment and did it that way so there there are different there are different routes to to doing it but it's going to be it's going to be a bit complicated and yeah financially you're you're probably gonna yeah have to take a hit
1: Yeah, this is the thing. This is the thing I want to get across that, and what you're saying is completely in line with what I'm saying is that people don't kind of have this pipe dream of we're going to buy this property and I'm going to own this much per month and you know I'm going to get a job and this is how it's going to work because things don't always fall how you would hope and I just want people to realise that you may have to be a little bit creative especially at the beginning Um, and you may have to take things that you might not have thought you would have done just to get your foot on the ladder and just to get a a way in and then maybe as time goes by you meet people and somebody um, I mean here a lot of people um, will refer you once they know you and recommend you and and yeah. jobs often that's the way it's not literally looking on online and putting your curriculum into a, some kind of database I mean that is a way of getting a job but it's not the only way
0: anyway. I totally agree and as, <laughs> as I'm sure you'll agree in Spain um, there's a lot of uh, what they call what is it boca boca a lot of word of mouth <laughs> still rings true in Spain and not just for jobs where you'll a friend will recommend you maybe directly to their boss and you'll kind of jump the queue which does happen but also for for, uh, for renting or finding apartments as well I found that uh, quite yeah, often you will massively. find uh, friends of friends apartments. yeah and even for buying apartments so don't rely on just like you said um, sending out your CV or uh, putting your details into a database
1: I've been shown two, pro- two properties that um, were coming up for sale but before they were on the market I was I was shown them
0: Is there any advice you can give to people depending on the kind of lifestyle they want in terms of what part of Spain they should choose? I mean, we know that uh, the coasts, the Costa del Sol, the kind of Alicante area, Valencia, very popular among British, uh, um, British, the British citizens or Americans, maybe who are coming to move to Spain. Um, But I don't know. Is there any other advice you'd give? I mean, the north of Spain gets quite overlooked. Some int- yeah,
1: in the north of Spain is very much overlooked, um, and north of Spain um, is a really attractive place to think to consider, especially if you like outdoors kind of activities, hiking, horse riding, uh, mountain biking, anything like that. Um, and uh, the prices are very competitive because there's not this huge demand, um, but of course. The weather is very different because, the, I mean, the climate is very rainy. The landscape is very green. Mm. Um, but, of course, it doesn't get the intense heat that the south does in the summer. It's not as easy to get to either. Like, if you're yeah. in that area, the, com- the connections um, to the rest of Spain can be more tricky. There's not so many kind of international flights or train connections, that kind of thing.
0: That's another thing I was going to mention. And maybe they still have family back home and they need to be able to maybe get back home at the drop of a hat. I'm thinking of maybe someone who's got elderly parents, for example. That's a consideration, right, to sort of your proximity to a good, well-connected airport um, for the direct routes back to wherever your home country is as well.
1: The the main airports in Spain, I mean, the biggest ones are um, Madrid, Barcelona and Malaga. There are the big three, which have a lot of international connections and good connections with most European destinations and good connections within Spain as well. Um, We haven't mentioned the islands, uh, Gran Canaria, uh, the Canary Islands, the Balearic Islands, Mallorca, etc. I've deliberately not mentioned the islands because they're islands and they can be quite isolating, especially in winter months. Canaries, not so much. There's people who live there all year round because of the yeah. climate. Um, but even so, you're, you're on island. So it's quite, it's more limiting than if you're on the mainland because if you need something on the mainland, you just go to Madrid or you go to Barcelona or, I don't know, you just get on a train or get on a bus and you're there. Whereas on yeah. the island, it's a boat or a plane and the expenses higher and the limitation is higher also. One thing that people will definitely not think about are natural disasters, to be really really pessimistic. So, (laughs) (laughs) in Spain, we we suffer um, forest fires, especially in the area between Madrid and Portugal, which is Extremadura. There's Mm. been some very big forest fires in that area. Um, And because it's been dry, um, global warming, the temperature's hotter, and we seem to have had a a drought for a really long time in the south um forest fires are something to be aware of as in they exist it can happen um if you're looking at remote rural areas to be kind of aware and know um the likelihood of fires in the area where you're looking to move to or the history ask the locals has there been fires in that area you know that kind of thing and um the same with earthquakes. I mean, we have earthquakes in Spain as well. We're on the fault line between Europe and Africa. And that's also something to consider. I mean, we haven't had a big one for a long time, but we could have an earthquake. So um I don't want to be pessimistic, <laughs> but just to be realistic and tell people, you know, things that go on here and, and yeah. about the geography of where, where they're coming.
0: Recently with a kind of Somewhat more extreme weather we've had lately, there have even been sort of tornadoes um, down in Andalusia and off the coast of Malaga. Yeah,
1: and certainly big floods. There's been a lot of floods in the Alicante area, the late summer, alicante valencia area, and they were very, very severe
0: once you've identified maybe the area of Spain that you're interested in relocating to is to, you know, follow follow the local news, which you can easily do nowadays via the internet. You can even, you know, watch the local news programs via the internet, I think in most cases without any problems and for free to sort of, uh, yeah, uh, n- know what's going on in new, your future local community, which is also quite exciting and quite interesting in itself uh, when you're preparing a move yeah. uh, to see who the movers and shakers are, what's going on, what are the big stories, you know, what's uh, all of that kind of thing and two other things i just wanted to quickly touch on because i'm aware we have been talking for quite a while um is that I, I guess it's important to sort of also and this is something you will notice when you come and uh, spend time ahead of your move um or rather ahead of settling permanently is to be just to be conscious of um depending where you are in spain and you touched on it before in your when we spoke last time is the kind of rhythm of life is is going to be probably different to what you're used to as well in terms of, uh, uh, you know, eating times, what time restaurants are going to be open, uh, opening hours of shops. The fact that maybe I mean I remember when I first came um, I was used to being able to sort of buy certain things all under one roof in one supermarket for example if I I needed a packet of paracetamol tablets if I had a headache Um, you can't just pick them up in your local supermarket you have to go to a pharmacy for example or um, if I remember when I needed to get a phone sim card my local Vodafone store was Closed for three hours in the middle of the day, and so it didn't coincide with my with my lunch break, and all these little things like that that maybe you assume are going to be the same at, until you actually move here, and you think, ah, yeah, these little idiosyncrasies.
1: One of the things that um, I would really recommend, and it's it's hard to do at the beginning, but it's worth it, is to get into the time the timing and the day pattern of the locals. Because if you don't, you're just fighting. (laughs) Like here in in the South, um, we have lunch between, I'd say, about half past two and three. That's normally when most people sit down to have their lunch, which people may think that's really late, especially as I had breakfast at 8 a.m. So there's a big gap between 8 a.m. and 2. Um, So normally people have a second breakfast. Nobody ever tells you that they have a second breakfast, but they do. So they'll have a yogurt or an apple or maybe a bit of toast or or a coffee or whatever in the middle of the morning around 11 or 11.30. Um, So it's like having this two breakfasts and then this late lunch. And then in the afternoon, you probably don't have anything. And then dinner is around 8.30, 9, 9.30, 10, depending on how hot it is. So In winter months, we'll be having dinner at 8.30, 9. And then in summer months, it will be more like 9.30, 10, 10 10.30 if it's really hot. Um, And if you try and live your life with a different pattern than that, um, it's going to be very difficult for you because you'll go to a restaurant and it will be closed. Or you'll go to a restaurant and the, the chef won't be there. Or you will only be able to go to the tourist restaurants that are open 24 yeah. 7 and they're just awful because it's like frozen food or fried food or.
0: Yeah, whatever. So with the places with the lurid, brightly colored photos and all the menus in English. Yeah. About five different
1: languages. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. And frozen okay. pie, all of that kind of thing. So um, yeah. if you. I mean, it may be hard at the beginning to kind of get your sleep and food and all of that into the same pattern as the locals. But once you do it, things will start to become natural and you'll slot in and you'll see how people move in the city or in the town where you're in. And things will make a lot more sense than if you're doing your own pattern and you're fighting the trend of where you live it will make the transition a lot easier and it will just make your life much easier
0: molly just before we go we were working on an article about this for your for your blog but um, where can people find that when it's ready and also anyone who's interested in contacting you for your services for your relocation services or any advice where, where can they find that
1: so um, my blog is pickav.com. So that's dot com, And you can subscribe to get updates from the blog or you can just Google and you find all the information on there. And to contact me, you can directly email me at molly, M-O-L-L-Y-S-P at gmail.com.
0: Molly, thanks ever so much for joining me again on the podcast. I uh, really appreciate your time and your your expertise
1: Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks so much for having me.
0: So that was Molly. If you'd like to check out her website, pickavay.com, and that is P-I-C-C, A-V-E-Y and via Molly's website you'll be able to find out a lot more information about her and about Spain. It's a fantastic blog. She has a newsletter which you can sign up to and also via her page you can contact her if indeed you're looking for some advice about relocation, relocation services and that kind of thing. So that will just about do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I hope it's been useful for anybody thinking about uh, coming to uh, relocate to Spain. And indeed, if you are thinking of relocating to Spain, another good place to check out is the When in Spain Facebook group. Uh, We've got over 2,000 members in the When in Spain Facebook group now. So it's a really useful place to ask questions and advice of other people and potentially other When in Spain listeners who have already made the move to Spain. So do check out the When in Spain Facebook Facebook group it's free to join you just find the when in Spain Facebook page on the when in Spain Facebook page you hit the uh, join group of course it's free get on there it's a great place to socialize uh, with other Spain fans and indeed if you want to share any uh, articles photos anything which you think is useful or interesting uh, to people who are interested in Spain that's the place to do that when in Spain is on all the other usual social media hangouts if you're into photography Uh, When in Spain is on Instagram. When in Spain is also on Twitter. And if you'd like to get in touch with me directly with any specific query or any feedback about the podcast or any ideas for future episodes or anything that you'd like me to talk about and focus on, uh, you can get in touch with me directly via email. And the email address that you need is wheninspain1, the number one, wheninspain1 at outlook.com. So if you enjoyed this episode, and indeed you enjoy the When in Spain podcast in general, uh, do consider becoming a When in Spain patron. It's just a dollar a month minimum, $1 a month, $12 a year to help me keep bringing you content that hopefully you enjoy and you find entertaining and interesting. So please do consider becoming a patron, patreon.com forward slash When in Spain come and join all of the other 4 million patrons helping people like me do what they do. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you all and I really look forward to speaking to you again next week with a brand new episode of When in Spain. Until then, hasta luego.